I'm beginning to realize more about what he meant, I think. That is the life. If you can do what he did, obey what he did, and have that agape, that's mm-hmm. the life. Yeah. Um, worrying about, um, am I going to have enough money for this or that? Or does so-and-so like me? Or I don't like so-and-so. Right. That's not the life. And it calls you into crazy stuff that you'd never imagine yourself doing. Yeah. When, you, when he is your life. Yeah, but you feel alive. Unburdened by so much baggage. It's not all gone, but, um, and some of it came back. You know? <laughs> right. And then right. I had to deal with it, you know, because it's, it's an ongoing process. But that is the life. He is mm-hmm. the life. Mm-hmm. But you have to become like him. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all-cause mortality by up to 30%. So, I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Marty, it's been a couple of weeks since we have made a podcast. Yeah, man. How have you? How did you use your break? My break was used with some good summer stuff and some challenges along the way, but some crazy news. I'm going to be a grandpa twice over. You're that old? Can you believe it? I know. Congrats. I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It is. It's kind of crazy. New life on the way. The Hook family is expanding. You get to do it again the easy way. Right. That's right. That's not as many diapers. Right. Uh, right. You get to play and, you know, you don't have to discipline. Sugar them up and send them home. That's what they say you're supposed to do. Yeah. So we have some exciting things coming this season. So we're going to be more active. At least I am on social media. Mm -hmm. Okay. Be more faithful to um, our patrons, uh, deliver them more content. Uh, Some great things have happened, though, just to let our patrons know that uh, the money is having an effect in the world. One thing that happened is we're getting some. Um, invitations to consult. And we've already done some of those, right? To go face-to-face. And that was the plan that people would hear the message and get interested. Um, another thing that I'm finding is uh, just people are, that I don't know are bringing up the podcast. I'm like, oh, I listened to your podcast. I, I went to buy some high noons. You know what those are? No. It's really, really good. It's like uh, just pure fruit juice and vodka and mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the woman who was checking me out goes, uh, oh, you're with, uh, uh, with the podcast. And so I know that it's getting out there. I know it takes some time, but I'm very inspired. And if anyone can help us, even a dollar a month on Patreon, that just helps get the numbers up. And there, we have some cool gear and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and the ability we had to come alongside at 60 person Zoom. 
staff retreat training day for a large corporation. Yeah. And all that great feedback. And we got an invitation back and, uh, and it's not us, right? We're just, right. We're, no. we're just messengers. So yeah, not, not, not bragging. No way. It's, it's exciting though. It really is. See, God's using it. Yes. That's how I put it. So today's topic, it, it, I don't think it's heavy. I think if people read it, I, I want to talk about the mysteries of death and dying. Mm-hmm. So important to our faith. Mm-hmm. We kind of separate it from all the rest of our lives. Yeah, this culture, for sure. Yeah. The denial of death. Yeah. Did you ever take a specific course on the psychology of death and dying? Yeah, I was very interested in thanatology because I got into psychology through by watching my sister die and the transformation because grief can be transformational. Okay. And we're going to get into that today because we think of grief as is the last thing you want to happen ever. Um, it's a horrible thing. There's no good in it. And that isn't the actual truth mm-hmm. of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not pro death, right? right? But it's a fact of life. It's a mystery. And there is often extraordinary experiences uh, surrounding death. And I've seen them, you've seen them. And I've seen it recently. Uh, two Fridays ago, my father, my dad passed away and I was with him and watched him um, uh, go and watched uh, the transformation in him mm-hmm. as he went. Um, he said things and did things. And, um, and then I had this like miraculous dream that I want to talk about um, later on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. So w- w- what do you say to that, Matt? I say that it is a reflection of life. I say that it totally lines up, you know, uh, in scripture, in the Christian Judeo-Christian scripture, we call the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures in the New Testament. It talks about death and dying, and they had rituals for people to go through. Rituals so important. Even the ritual of just hearing the news of, of someone having died or being near death, and how, what do you do with that information? We actually have a guest next week that's going to help walk us through some of that, who's an expert in the field, mm-hmm. uh, Carl Jennings. But, Looking forward to that. Yeah, but the idea that we are called to grieve. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations that we're to lament. That is not an inappropriate thing. We don't welcome it, but it is when it comes for us to learn that we have a response to it. You know, the other thing that I would say, based on what you were talking about, is, is we've got to think of death as multifaceted in a way, and I don't mean to sound morbid about it, but, you know, there's when we're talking about plants, when we're talking about animals, you know, lower things death means the end of life. But when you're talking about human beings, death is not the end of life. It's the beginning of something by all accounts, doorway. uh, Yeah. Yeah. By all accounts from people who got really close to it and um, the brain appeared to not be functional. uh, And this is sometimes ours Mm. come back and report things that are very similar. And what they report is just wonderful. This, this, this sense of, because resuscitation medicine is, is, is pretty new, actually. Do you know how long we've had CPR? No. You would think a long time, right? Right, right. Uh, my lifetime, 60s, late 60s. Wow. So, so now that we're bringing these people back, uh, they're reporting some things. Mm. Uh, for a long time, people were afraid to mention them because they didn't think anyone would believe them or they'd think that they were psychotic or something like that. But so we're seeing patterns in that. And what they report is supernatural love. And also an expansion of consciousness. 
Yeah. So we think of the brain as, no, that's what's producing consciousness, right? And then if you um, kill the brain, then no more consciousness. And what we think, the current model right now is it's a reducing valve. So what it does is the world is chaotic. There's so much going on, even in the room that you're in. If you look outside, there's all these, you know, little details that you just can't focus on all those. It would be like schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. What it is, it reduces experience so we can um, navigate. And another uh, interesting line of study is with the um, psychedelics. People who do psychedelics will report an expansion of consciousness, yet we know through a functional imaging that uh, actually the brain is less active. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Wow. And we're not recommending psychedelics for people. I I I've, I um have been on acid all morning, uh, <laughs> listening to the Grateful Dead. That part I might believe. Yeah, well, it goes to the point. You know, theologically, we believe that people are more than just a physical creature, but that men and women, humanity, is a spiritual being. So for us, as people. And we would say, made in the image of God, physical death does not mean the end of existence, but the end of life as we know it, like a doorway. And there's a transition to, this, to another dimension in which our consciences continue. And, and one of the unique things about Judaism, Christianity specifically, is we don't lose our individuality. We don't lose our personality. We don't end up like some of the Eastern mysticism religions, you end up like a drop of water in, in the ocean. Yeah. But we don't lose our personhood is what we would say we believe. And so the Bible talks about death in three ways. First of all, physical, second, spiritual, and third is eternal. Physical death of a human being. The first time that's mentioned is the death of Abel, who is one of the sons of Adam and Eve, who was murdered by his brother Cain. But death itself in the physical and the spiritual sense is first mentioned by God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. In the Genesis account of the fall of humanity, both physical and spiritual death come as a result of sin, of breaking away from God and God's design. Now, God says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of it uh, or you will die. That's the first mentioning of it they put it right out there on front street right up front right mm -hmm. it's a part of the creation i mean it's mm -hmm. part of the primordial history in the garden of eden you know the seven days of creation and then zeroing in on the garden of eden yeah that there are consequences yes let's say more about that well the idea is not just that god created a universe but that god created a moral universe in which there are things like choice right and wrong and results and the idea of if i do this then this can happen and that we literally have impact over our own lives a lot of people believe in a very fatalistic understanding of their lives so the fact is the bible lifts up humanity as having an impact not being insignificant and even though genesis chapter 2 talks about the creation of men and women it's still really about God. You know, we tend to focus on ourselves. That's part of that. We are oriented towards sin. And the result of sin is death, separation from God. And that's where you kind of get into the spiritual, being spiritually dead 
or the idea of eternal death. The fact is all people are spiritually dead, separated from God, who is the source of life. And you think, you know, if I want space between me and God, if God is light and life and love, I can choose to be separate, separating myself from that. I can choose to walk away from that. I can choose to simply ignore it, to simply get caught up in so many other things that I don't give it a second thought, let alone give God a second thought. But God is the source of spiritual life. And yet we are oriented away from God because of the first fall of men and women from God. Man, it's what you said earlier. Um, they thought of themselves, didn't they? That's, that's what happened. They thought, oh, you, you can be like God. They, they fell out of love with God. They fell out of love. Yeah. And then they were separated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're in the whole temptation to do that. They're there's an idea that God is holding out on us. So can I just read something real quick? This Please. is from uh, Bishop Alexander uh, Milliant. I don't even know who that is, but I love this quote. Um, and he called this the tragedy of sin. Okay. While people complain of their various sorrows, it must be remembered that they are not our main misfortunes. So even the death of my father and all of that, my dad, the foremost evil are our sins. That's separation from God that you're talking about. Indeed, while sin destroys a person permanently, sorrows and misfortunes accepted as God's will bring spiritual salvation. Okay, sorrows and misfortunes accepted as God's will bring spiritual salvation. Our sins are chains and bonds that enslave and drag us down into the netherworld. And unless we free ourselves from them, we will be unable to inherit life eternal. Mm. I, I mean, do you hear what I heard in that? Mm-hmm. We get so caught up in the world, so you know, and our sufferings and losses and sorrows, and you know, while painful, have your eye on eternity, mm-hmm. and 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 um, it gives me peace. I mean, a lot of people come to me and um, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We're different as Christians. We don't think about death and dying like that. Mm-hmm. There's a hope of the resurrection, and um, and by hope, I don't mean, geez, I hope this will happen. No, I'm waiting for it. Yeah. Yep. It's a promise. It's a future promise that we can realize today before we die. Yes. I like to talk about the idea that eternal life for me doesn't begin if I die next week or when I'm 65 or 85. Eternal life for me has begun now because I responded to the invitation when Jesus says, die to yourself. I'm so glad that you put it that way because it is developmental. And, And some Christians that I know, think that no, it's a one-time deal, man. Just say this thing. And then, you know, you move on and you're cool, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can, you can be right in the world and you're cool. It's spiritual development mm-hmm. is, and, I, and I'm learning, like you just said some things today where I'm like, oh my gosh, you just deepened my understanding without even, um, without even knowing it. a couple of things you said about Genesis. I like, I didn't thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're developing, right? Philippians, for those people who are struggling and like, why is this faith thing so hard? Realize that in the New Testament book of Philippians, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to Christ followers in Philippi, which is a place you can still visit today. And he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. It's not just this one-time thing and like, you know, from one thing to the other. And that's actually one of the best things that the idea of Orthodox Wesleyan theology brings to Christianity. The idea that God's grace brings us first to justification. So just God's justifying grace. Well, and bef- that's where 
you realize the cross and I am lined up with God because I've put my faith in Christ's death on the cross. Does justification, Matt, does justification mean uh, like, is it worthiness or something? I I don't fully understand. It is Christ's worthiness Uh, to take our place. Okay. And he then makes us worthy and invites us into this new life. People go around telling themselves, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. You're telling other people, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. I don't know how, if they got it. Just so, <laughs> just saying. But, but the idea of, of soteriology, which is the study of salvation, the theology of salvation, is that God's grace is coming at us from the moment we're born. And we call that in the Wesleyan circles uh, that trace our roots to the revival of the 1700s that was led by John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitefield. They talk about, first of all, there's prevenient grace, prevenient. So it goes before salvation. God's coming to us. And that might be God's prevenient grace. And it woos us and catches our attention to the point where we become perhaps open or seeking where we weren't before. It could be God's prevenient grace provided me with a faithful grandma that prayed over me when I was little whether I knew it or not, God's prevenient grace encourages me to make a friend, you know, like you and leads us to the point of salvation, which is what we then call God's justifying grace. It's the same grace, but based on where the person is receiving the grace, we name it differently. Prevenient grace is for the person who's just going along living their lives, not realizing God, not realizing the hope of salvation that is available to them and the freedom and the peace that comes with it. But God woos us into consciousness of who he is. And that's God's prevenient grace, which leads us to a moment of crisis, um, a crisis of faith where we need to say, I realize I can't do this on my own. And I realize Christ is the person that I need to put my faith in for all that he has done for me. That's justifying grace. An easy way to remember that is, you know, on a word document, you can do right justify or left justify, and it lines us up with God. That is the moment where we are now, we've now gone from living under the law of sin and death to living under the law of love. Beautiful. And, um, and grace isn't just this intellectual concept. I experienced grace the way amazing grace talks about it. it. It was a supernatural love and belonging. Before you could even name it. But yeah, because you you always d- define um, spirituality as connectedness. It was that but with this surety of acceptance and value and humility. Now mix all that together and probably some other things too. And I don't have another name for that. Yeah. Yeah. Another name could be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is wooing us into a relationship with Christ. Then we come to this moment where we hand over our lives to Christ and his act of salvation, death on the cross, where he redeems us. He makes us like you redeem a coupon. I mean, that's a good word Mm -hmm. where he justifies us before God. So he takes our sin and we receive the gift of eternal life. It's not a very good trade, but this really ties in with the idea of death and dying. In that way, we've died to ourselves and we now live for Christ. And we've entered into this new paradigm, this new reality, this new worldview, but we're not done and God's not done with us. And that's one of the Wesleyan contributions to Christian theology is from prevenient grace, wooing us to justifying grace that connects us with Christ and his salvific act on the cross Mm -hmm. to what we call sanctifying grace, sanctifying like uh, sanctus, you might, if you've got Catholic background, the word means holy and it's not holier than thou. 
Um, but it, the Holy Spirit now has entered us because of Christ's act, and he sends the Holy Spirit. And there's a book written called Invisible God, because we forget about the Holy Spirit in a lot of the Protestant traditions, especially, and some of the Catholic and some of the Orthodox, all because the Holy Spirit's role, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is to point us to the Father and to the Son. So he's kind of in the background. That's who he is. But we're called to personal holiness. And that is not something weak. That is something so strong. Yeah. And by holy, let's not, um, we're not like overly sanctimonious. It's love. Love everybody. Yeah. Love yourself. Have that, that, that experience, that uh, quality of love always, mm -hmm. even for your enemies. Yes. And that's what Christ did. So we're called to be like Christ. And by us continuing to walk with Christ and practice the disciplines of worship, of study, Bible study, of meeting with fellowship of believers, that's a huge part of it. That's called yeah. ecclesiology, the theology of the gathered body. COVID has done a number on our understanding of the gathered body and how vital it is. You know, in countries where Christianity is illegal, people will travel, they will walk miles for a middle of the night meeting in someone's attic. Because mm -hmm. just to gather together as Christ followers strengthens each one of us. And I guess that would be a call for somebody who's maybe found us and plugged in. And maybe it's time for you to take another step because that's where we can work out our salvation. You hear other people's stories. If you're not hearing other people's faith stories, you're starving yourself. Yeah. From that. And if, if you're part of a church that doesn't share people's faith stories, it's like we're dying of thirst. We need to hear those stories for our own understanding of our own place in Christ and how we're walking. That sanctifying grace actually leads to a perfecting grace where we believe the more in love with God and your neighbor as yourself that you become, the more we are perfected in love. We're not perfect, but our love becomes closer to God's love for all people. Yeah. They, they used a funny term in the 1700s calling it perfecting grace, but it is where we, and anybody who admits they've achieved it, <laughs> they, they just blew it. <laughs> they, they outed themselves. Yeah, that's right. That's where we come kind of full circle in a way. And the eternal life begins at that moment where we receive and, and our spiritual life is renewed from now until eternity, which isn't just a really long line. I think eternal life and the life we experience after death isn't just like a bunch of more years and months stacked on top of each other. Mm -hmm. No, eternal life, scripture talks about is, it's like going from 2D to three-dimensional. It's like going from black and white to color yeah. in, our, in our experience and our understanding because it's the reality of God. Interesting in the Bible, when it comes to, death, which is that doorway to eternal life, there's different attitudes expressed. There's dread about death and there's anticipation of what the new reality is going to be. The ancient Hebrews saw death. They talked about Sheol, which is like this valley in which you're cut off from everything good, everything dear to you, everything in life, including God and your loved ones. But God revealed even back in the Psalms 139 that God is both the redeemer in heaven and in Sheol. And he's able to bring a person out of the grave because of that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean everybody's saved. It's not universal. No, 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 no. Some people don't want to be with God. 
They don't. Mm -hmm. um, hell is, in the Orthodox view, is, is um, hell is to be in the presence of God and not want it. That separation yeah. from, from, from God. We're materialists, Matt. We're materialists. So people like to think everything's going to be material in the spiritual world, just like it is. And, you know, when we do science, not, not like that. I mean, you're not going to be a crispy critter. Um, that, that's, he's more creative than that. I think if you want yeah. to do something yeah. to torture you. And I believe God, for those who truly don't want God, he allows them the terrible choice that they make. Yeah. Cause he doesn't force himself on us. Cause that's not infinite in love. And so I believe that hell was created as a place where the presence of God is not. Mm -hmm. And he has done that to honor our personhood. Yeah. It could be because it's your choice. Yeah. If I nothing... truly don't want to be with you, yes, you can love me and leave me alone. Gotcha. Matt, how many, I've seen quite a few people die, either actually watch it uh, at the deathbed or be there, you know, hours before. Mm -hmm. How many people have you seen died and, and, and what struck you? What did you learn from those experiences of being with those people um, that you couldn't have known mm -hmm. any other way? I've probably seen 10 people take their last breath. Basically, as pastor, we're coming alongside with the family. And there's a moment of profundity. It's a profound moment, but it's also kind of a gentle moment. There's a sense of relief. There's a sense of finality. So it's not like it's a lightweight thing. And for some people, for many people, that moment is it comes with tears. It comes with welling up. It comes with sadness and grief. You're going to miss your loved one. But it also comes with a sense of like a sigh of, of relief. I think that our fear of the future enters in, you know, what's it going to be like now going to a house where somebody, where I'm the only one there, if it's, you know, the spouse of somebody who's died, What's it going to be like? I also believe that I talk about doing a funeral that's not out of order. There's out of order funerals. A funeral that's not out of order is somebody who's lived a full life, whatever amount of years that is, 60 in their 60s seems pretty young still, but the idea of, of a life not out of order versus the life of somebody who's died young that's out of order or they died because of they took their life or they died because they accident or something. Yeah. Yeah. A tragedy yeah, or, or my sister with uh, cancer. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah. It's always hard to do a funeral, even for somebody middle-aged or older when their parents are still living Yeah. by out of order. I think, I mean, somebody who dies before their parents die. Mm -hmm. And now if, if their parents are 90 and, their child is 70 that's less out of order and it's just amazing the 90 year olds are still mm -hmm. with us and doing fine kind of a thing so for me there's two experiences of that when it comes to people taking their last breath oftentimes if it's somebody even out of order when the parents are still around it's because of a disease you know that none of us are immune from mm -hmm. that all of us are susceptible to one thing that I've noticed in me and others is the closer you get to death, that means being around it, seeing it, um, the less we fear it. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions to that, but, uh, but um, and this includes the person who's dying. At the um, 
end of my friend Bob's life, because he was afraid at first, you know, real worried. And I was with him when the oncologist told him, well, I can't do anything else for you. And he broke down in tears and things like that. But a, a day or two before he died, he couldn't speak. It was almost like he, we, we were celebrating. Like he, he was smiling and he patted the bed for me to sit down. Mm-hmm. And he was this, just, just wondrous joy. And I wonder how that came to him because I read stories of visitations days before. Mm. Um, and, and some people say they're hallucinations. They don't sound like hallucinations to me because it's, it's always a deceased person. Yeah. I, it's not your old babysitter or anything like that coming. Right. It's somebody who, who comes and, and, and in some cases um, when the person comes back, they didn't know that they were being visited by a dead relative because mm-hmm. they didn't know they were dead. They had died without the person's awareness and still had the visitation. And then later on, um, a, a re- report that. Yeah. Did you notice that, though? The closer, like when it's when it's too mysterious, people fear it because mm-hmm. we fear the unknown and the unfamiliar. But as I get closer to it, um, the less I fear it, the more I know about it, the less I fear it. Yeah. I was talking with a guy who's a real successful executive, and he said, you know what? Lately, I just feel like eternity is so near. And he's about 60 and, and he's, it's not a morbid thought, but it's the idea of our lives are like a breath, you know, like the plant that grows and blooms and withers and dies, you know, that that's in the scripture and, and it's, it's not a morbid thought. It doesn't take away meaning from life. It, it paints a beautiful canvas on which we live our lives, I believe. Yes. Now that would be really different if you were attached to the world. And that's why in the scriptures, we're told over and over not to conform to the patterns of the world. Keep, you know, we have our eye on eternity, right? Um, and, and that's why we say go, gone to his reward or she went to her reward. Yeah. Right? yeah. We will be Old judged by, words. Our, yeah. Yeah, by, by, by our, our deeds. And we know in death, God is just. Mm-hmm. I, I put my faith that God is just. So um, can I tell you a little bit about uh, my dad's death? Please, that would so, be an honor. It was a difficult relationship. Um, oh, one thing that happens, Kathy, my wife brought this up to me too. Um, she goes, after he died, she goes, uh, it's hard to remember the bad things, isn't it? And I said, you know what? You're right. Wow. It's really hard for me to um, to remember the bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he, you know he, had, he had a difficult upbringing and things like that. He did the best that he could, right? But it wasn't, you know, I won't be missing this really close relationship, okay? Because mm-hmm. uh, it just it just wasn't there. Right. But by the end, as he was wasting away, um, his heart softened. And um, I heard, I love you for the first time in my life. I'm 53 years from him. Yeah, never said that to me before. And wow. um, and so this was the cool thing that happened. So the night before he passed, he passed on a Friday morning. My mom discovered him at 5.30 a.m., so right around that time. The night before, I, I visited him, and he wasn't participating at all. He was, he was pretty far gone. You can see the look, you know, that mm-hmm. stare, and he wasn't moving much. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know if he's listening to anything or not. So I'm ready to leave. And as I start to walk past him, he suddenly got alert. And he couldn't really speak, but he held his hands out and I grasped his hands mm-hmm. and he whispered, um, come back. Okay. So he wanted me, he, he wasn't done with me. Yeah. So I leave and I just had this feeling like, I don't think he can make it till tomorrow for me to come back. I don't know. And so I thought about that. So I went to sleep that night mm-hmm. and um, I had a dream. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Yeah, no, this is the right order. I had a dream. 
that I was at this, it was almost like a festival, right? It was this outdoor and, and I knew everybody cared for each other and it was like kind of fun. And, yeah. and my dad was there. And then somehow um, the knowledge came that he's dead. Mm-hmm. Like I just knew it in the dream. And so I walked over to him and he knew that he was gone. It's a weird thing. It's a dream. It's mm-hmm. weird. It's, mm-hmm. it's metaphysical. And so we embraced as if we were both grieving yeah. his passing that I won't see him anymore. And so then ring, 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 Kathy's phone's ringing. And so I wake up and I say, is, is he dead? Cause I just had this feeling that that's what, you know, he's, he's gone now. And it wasn't anyone from there. It was someone from work I was calling mm-hmm. her too early in the morning. <laughs> so I go and I check my phone and I learned he's, he's gone. Cause I'd had had the message that, um, and, and so that dream may have been right around that time. Sure. I believe that yeah. there's so many times that something like that happens. Yeah. And he prayed uh, three times. He was a, a professing atheist, you know, anti-God. But by the end of his life, three separate chaplains came in and he prayed with them. <laughs> so there's a part of me going, you know, maybe that's what it took for you. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, You weren't having a great time here anyway, but as far as I could tell. But maybe that's what it took to prepare you for that next thing. And he'll have that joy mm-hmm. that, that he missed out on in this life. When that was happening to you, did you have, were you connecting the dots right then as they were happening in the dream tied in with the reality of your dad? Yeah, that's why I I put in the part that when the phone rang, I was sure he was gone. And it wasn't just because I thought that the night, I just thought, okay, that's because I'd had the dream and that that was my frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Did I just say goodbye to him? You know, that's what the thought was. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've seen other amazing things too, but we maybe another podcast we can get into just these like near death experiences and things like that. Because, and the, here's why I say it because it's so much greater than what we think it is. Our view of reality is just so reduced that these fascinating and unusual experiences remind us that there's mystery out there. You're a mystery. I'm a mystery. This whole thing's a mystery. We forget that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a cop-out either. How would that sound like a cop-out? Oh, it's just a mystery. So we don't engage our brains. No, a mystery um, fascinates us. And so we have awe in mystery, right? We, we have awe. It's got our attention. It's, yeah, mm. it, it's above us. Right, right. It goes in the face of our materialistic lifestyle, though, doesn't it? And philosophy. Yeah. To acquire to maximize life, to squeeze every, you know, who is it? Lord Byron that wrote fight, fight against the dying of the light. Oh yeah. Rage against the dying of light. Yeah. We're called, I mean, we're called to live vitally. We're not called to just exist or just to be entertained or to get our happiness from watching somebody on a screen live their lives. We're supposed to live our own lives. We're not consumers only. We're not observers, spectators, you know, detach. We're supposed to live it fully. And, and that's why Jesus says, I am the life. I'm beginning to realize more about what he meant, I think. That is the life. If you can do what he did, obey what he did and have that agape, mm-hmm. that's the life. Yeah. Um, worrying about, um, am I going to have enough money for this or that? Or does so-and-so um, like me? Or I don't like so-and-so. Right. That's not the life. And it calls you into crazy stuff that you'd never imagine yourself doing Yeah. when, you, when he is your life. Yeah, but you feel alive. 
Yeah. I I, I felt the way I described it to you when I first met you and had that experience, I said, I just feel clean. You know, it was just a live feeling unburdened by so much baggage. It's not all gone, but, um, and some of it came back, you know, right, and then right. I had to deal with it, you know, cause it's a, it's an ongoing process, but that is the life. He is mm-hmm. the life, mm-hmm. but you have to become like him. Right. And then you'll have the life and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, there's a funny, there's a funny quote that says, I know a lot of people whose epitaphs should say, Died at age 35, buried at age 70. <laughs> that is, that's sad and funny at the same time. Right, right. You know, because we stopped living. We, we got sidetracked into something else other than this life that Christ has offered us. Remember David Cassidy from the Partridge yeah. family and he was the teen <laughs> idol? Do you know what he said at his deathbed? Uh-uh. Like These were like his final words. So much wasted time. Wow. So much wasted time. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's uncommon for celebrities that we look up to. So many people who, whose lives end early yeah. in that industry. Yeah. I mean, look, the enemy masquerades as something tantalizing, something valuable until you get into it. Yeah. That's why we need to be wise. And we think we've grabbed onto that life. We think we've grabbed onto that life when we're grasping Ecclesiastes said it's like trying to chase the wind, vanity of vanity. Yes. You know, when, when we're trying to live a life apart from theologically, we'd say God. Psychologically, I don't know what we'd say. God. God. <laughs> <laughs> that's the psychological term for that. Yeah. Too, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. And it's like what you want for everybody. And it's not this delusional thing, it's what's moved people all over the world. If you want it and you really want it for them, Mm -hmm. show it to them, give it to them, give it to them and they, and maybe they'll receive it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He's talking about this new life kind of a thing. And I've got my big old Bible this right now. The big old Bible. And he's talking about what are we to do about this resurrection? This is from first Corinthians 15. And he's talking about this gospel, which simply means the word good news that he shared with you, that you received on which you have taken your stand by this gospel. You are saved. You hold firmly to, if you hold firmly to the word, otherwise it's believing in vain, but he's talking about Christ died and Christ rose again. But he says this, if the dead are not raised, Christ is not raised either. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It still goes back to that. And he says this, since death came through a man, meaning Adam, resurrection of the dead also came through man, meaning Christ. And he says, because of this, the last enemy to be destroyed, this is verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed mm-hmm. is death. And then he goes on later talking about the resurrection body. And he ends with this, the parish of verse 53 of first Corinthians chapter 15. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. We literally put on this new resurrection life and the mortal with immortality 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then there's this great quote, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Where, O oh, death, is your victory and your sting? If all you are thinking of yourself is as some kind of physical being, it's there. When you open yourself up to the reality that you are so much more than you think you are, and that, you know, there's physical death, there's spiritual death, there's eternal but Christ has taken care of all of that, we would say, theologically, as Christians. And the impact of that with your physical life, with your social life, with your personal life, psychologically, the impact of understanding that there's so much more yet to come and there's so much more to do changes everything. Yeah, and in a time when there is a meaning crisis where people don't know, what's the purpose? Why am I here? That is the way. Mm -hmm. That is the way. Mm -hmm. I think when people say that, it's time for us to examine what is it that I'm pursuing? What yeah. is it that I'm pursuing above everything else? Yeah, yeah. what's the highest thing for some people? Because everybody, we say this, is worshiping. Mm -hmm. Every, and, and, and they worship uh, what, what they praise and what they sacrifice yeah. to. And for some people, the highest thing is, you know, um, gambling or, mm -hmm. you know, some of the other things or material gains. If that's your highest thing, you're serving um, uh, the wrong God. Yeah. You know, because what everybody wants is that feeling of, of, of love. Right. That that the peace that comes with it, the, mm -hmm. the reassurance, that an affirmation that life is good and people are good, even though there's some bad things. And if that's what people want, what's but the means to that end is so messed up for people who for us, we all get lost in the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody's trying to make up their own definition of love. And so that's are kind of building it up from the bottom. This is kind of a difference between some of the different theologies, the new and modern theologies, trying to build on ourselves. So we say, this is what love is. And then they try to throw it on God or on scripture or on society versus kind of a, a more top-down understanding that we would say is, is we've been shown, we've been given this ideal and this definition of what love is. And, and we don't have to invent anything. We receive it and become a part of it in sharing that with other people. Yeah, that's well said. Hey, one thing before we go, mm -hmm. I don't know how much you have, but um, you mentioned the resurrection. There's a lot of mystery around the resurrection, right? And so um, they knew it was him. They, they, they knew for sure, but he was different Yeah, in his resurrection body. I just am curious about how do you understand that? I mean, it's a mystery. I understand, I know that, but how do you understand that? What, and also, if people care to look into the the shroud of Turin, which I was skeptical about till I looked at it, but you know, there were real scientists, skeptics, researchers that looked at that stuff. And when I saw that, and I understand that at one part um, they carbon dated a, a piece that was actually a repair, but then they when they went back and took another. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing? Then they realize, no, this this all fits. So you know, and that, that's just an amazing thing because it could not have been. I won't get into that. We should do a show on that. Actually, that would be amazing. But, <laughs> I don't know nearly enough about that shroud. So 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 here here is the resurrected Christ. 
Mm-hmm. You ever think about like, what did they see? Mm-hmm. Like they knew it was him, but there was something. What do you think they yeah. saw? Yeah. And his resurrected body still carried the wounds. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like They were almost so- like crowns. The wounds were like badges of honor. Yeah. And he chose to take those wounds to heaven with him. Yeah. I think maybe to give us hope, to give us um, the reminder of what it cost him for everybody. I think that it was so unbelievable. They, first of all, just had a hard time that way and they were blind to it. Secondly, I believe he was different as the resurrected Jesus, not born into a human body the same. It's kind of one of the proofs for Christians of the fact that we are not just going to be a part of the ocean, the soup of human souls, but that there are resurrected bodies that we're to have. And, and you can read about it yourself in the end of first Corinthians chapter 15, especially. But I think that he must have looked different. He must, some of the earthly shackles and the earthly aches and pains and mm-hmm. stuff like that were gone. Yeah. But he ate a fish. He was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. He was a physical being a lot. There's, there's Christian traditions and extra outside of Christian traditions saying it was spiritual thing, a manifestation of the disciples faith kind of a thing. But John, especially in his gospel talks about how he's like, I'm hungry. Let's eat. You know, the yeah. physical, the physicalness of who we are is not inherently evil. No, um, God loves the, the stuff he creates and like um that is gnosticism mm-hmm. you know we still have some of the the greco roman influences on, on western christianity we need to look beyond those things because our bodies are absolutely a part of our spirituality and we have bodies like i'm fascinated that in dreams yeah you know we have a body because you know we have proprioception and things like that in the dream it's not mm-hmm. like a, 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 you're a spirit so you're not gonna you're, you're gonna have a body and there will be creation and it probably will look a lot like this because you know good idea uh, you know perfected i hope so <laughs> could use a little more around here a little less uh, <laughs> yeah i think it has way more to do with than that yeah mm-hmm. okay well i've said what i wanted this to is say. awesome i'm sorry for the loss of your dad i'm glad Thank for you the peace that God gave you in the midst of it. Well, thank you. And thanks for checking in on us too. Mm-hmm. We're doing this stuff. And the exciting thing is we're going to talk more about this in the next podcast, only maybe from an idea of how do you help people mm-hmm. in the process of it? How do you come alongside as a friend? What to say, what not to say? Cause we're so afraid to talk about it. I know. Listen, let me pray for us. Please. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you so much for reconnecting after a few weeks of taking a break from the recordings. And pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you are God over our lives and you're still God after we die. Thank you, Jesus, that you provided us the way to this new creation, this new life, this resurrected way of living. And not only do you show us how to do it, but you are the way. Help us to digest that as we go this week. I pray for all of our listeners. Pray, God, that you would get our attention and remind us how much you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.